This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafuma. Mark Thompson. Get woke. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Marcos and I have been away from one another for a few, but we're back together again for another edition of everyone's favorite segment, Thursday Coast. Marcos, of course, the founder of the largest online progressive presence, the online community, dailycoast.com, and founder of Civics with a Q, and the host of the ever-popular podcast, The Brief. Marcos, how are you, buddy? Doing great, and uh, missed hanging out with you the last several weeks, and it, you've been jet-setting, and it looks like you're still jet-setting uh, right now. Yeah, a little bit. I am actually in attendance. I'm at the UN as we speak. Uh, the second meeting of the permanent forum of people of African ancestry. Uh, and it's really been amazing because we've been talking about issues that affect African people worldwide, literally worldwide. I did not know there are half a million Africans in Australia. Mm. There's a community, believe it or not, of Afro-Irish. Okay. Um, and People don't realize this, but the um, United States is the second largest country, the country with the second highest number of people of African uh, ancestry, African descendancy. The first highest, of course, is Brazil. Brazil is heavily represented here. All the African nations are here. All the Caribbean. Nations. By percentage or in absolute numbers? In numbers. Okay. Um, and then... Um, all the Caribbean nations are here, the African nations, the, the Latino American nations. Colombia is represented, Cuba, mm. um, Mexico is oh, represented yeah. here, all of the member states. But, but you're going to love this. If Panama, I have a, yeah, there too. Panama. So there's a lot of people here. But you're going to love this. You, you're gonna, this is going to tickle you. In fact, I'll send you all the video. I'm going to post some of this later as the week goes by, y'all. You know, the United States is always holding up, you know, holding other countries responsible for their human rights abuses, not the best wrongs. But the United States, you know, is is a glass house. Russia and China sound like Malcolm X in this uh, <laughs> in this forum. Russia, we need reparations for African people. Oh, you know, okay. Like, okay, yeah, right. And and 
So Meanwhile, they, they have Wagner mercenaries, you know, pillaging right, 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 right. Right, right, right. right, right. Wagner mercenaries. Uh, but I'll be honest with you. So to, I, I made some remarks today and I'm sitting behind the Russian Federation and I was tempted to bring up the mercenaries. But I said, you know, I'm kind of here by myself. I don't have security. I better not <laughs> right. better keep that to myself because, you know, they, they like to poison and disappear people. Uh, and I took a cue from the other nations. They didn't say anything either. And they got these are other countries. So I said, I'm not a country. It's just Mark. Yeah. It's just me. And on a good day, it's me and Marcos. So there's <laughs> two of us. Of, uh... <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think maybe I just better leave that alone. But it's hilarious watching them espousing the virtues of Pan-Africanism and African liberation all over the world. And I'm like, okay, yeah. Um, but what's interesting, um, Ukraine, a story you covered um, extensively and we're thankful for that, has already talked about reparations for what has happened to that community as a result of the war in Russia. Mm -hmm. uh, and, when, and I've heard that on the news, but now, you know, these African countries, these African people are saying, you know, what about the reparations for enslavement, colonization, everything that's come after? You know, Haiti is still paying um, uh, France reparations for its liberation. You know, that has not stopped. So mm -hmm. we've got, yeah, when, when they overthrew the, the French, they had to pay reparations to the French. And that still comes out as sort of a tax. And we know how Haiti is languishing. But, you know, it, it's, folks, it, it always pays to experience other people in the world because we always think the only thing that's going on is what's happening in our little silos. Yep. But when we talk to other people, I really think I had no idea there were as many um, uh, African Australians, uh, Africans in Ireland, uh, all over the world. Spain is represented, France, and and many of these representatives, most of them to a fault, have been, you know, very articulate. Even those who represent countries where there's uh, there's white representation, they've even spoken articulately to the plight of African people. So the way this works is in the United Nations. Um, it began as a decade, 2014 to 2024 was the uh, decade of African of descendants of African descent. From a decade, you go to a permanent forum, which is what we are now. From a permanent forum, you go to a convention. And then from a permanent forum, you go to a treaty. So possibly in our lifetime, Marcos, we'll probably in the next 20 years, you may see conventions and treaties around the treatment of African people around the world and maybe even a, bit, some, a few steps closer to reparations. So that's what's going on at the United Nations all this week. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's, even your whole point about being able to see the world from somebody else's eyes is, is so incredibly helpful. Um, as you know, my son is, is uh, he's in a California National Guard. He's actually deployed right now to the Middle East. And I won't say where he's he's going for for operational security reasons, but he is slated to go to an area with a major refugee camp, over fifty thousand, and it is relatively. I mean, it, there's there's dangers involved. It's it's not particularly a, a quiet zone, uh, not an active war zone. So you know, but. To me, I'm really excited that he's going to be in an area where he's going to see people that have lost everything and live the way they do, displaced, away from their homes. Um, you know, he grew up in Berkeley, nice, safe, middle-class upbringing. And yeah, you know, we're, we're Salvadoran, and he's gone to El Salvador, and he's seen, you know, developing world poverty firsthand. But it's different when you're sort of kind of, you know, coming in for the week or two weeks, and then you go home, right? As opposed to 
being deployed for for up to a year in an area where he's going to really see a part of the world and and a, an experience that nobody else can see and and there's just no way that he's not going to come back a different person and hopefully for the better uh but um it is we it's it's easy to be in our bubbles and um a privilege and you know safety ensconced and and to even view things like like the war in Ukraine, the perfect example, where it almost feels like a video game. Let's just watch a bunch of videos of you know people and equipment being bombed, and 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 it just doesn't feel real. And so for him to be in that midst, and for you to be around people who who can speak to that different experiences, I'm sure incredibly uh, illuminating and educational. And like that's same thing with my son to see what the world looks like because we we are blessed in this country even those of us that don't have a lot still have you know not always but generally speaking have a lot more than you know somebody who's in a refugee camp or uh somebody who is you know still directly suffering the consequences of hundreds of years of of western colonialism uh, and, and i mean in africa right now a lot of places you're still suffering the wars and ravages of boundaries arbitrary boundaries and corruption deep corruption and of course we talked about wagner mercenary russian mercenaries that are literally propping up the worst of the worst in exchange for mineral riches i mean it's 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 devastating and um i just saw today a a uh, it was a map by by a, a democracy organization really Kind of it's like a democracy index just the extent of free elections per country and you know you look at africa and it's red it's like red is the worst right africa and asia it's it's just repression and corruption and uh and the u.s isn't you know the at the top either <laughs> the u.s is it's getting a little you know you Dark green, it goes from green, dark green to dark red. And and the U.S. is kind of light green. I mean, things are sketchy for all the reasons that we always talk about, the the challenges, the Republican assault on our democracy. Um, but it, it really is, it's it's devastating to see that that legacy continues to this very day where Africa continues to suffer um, as a continent. And uh, it's, it's um, no, it's absolutely tragic. I mean, it's Latin America mostly suffering the same way, but at least in Latin America, you have sort of glimmers of hope. Costa Rica is, you know, one of the strongest democracies in the world, right? So you have places where you're seeing democracy take hold and flourish, and, and but whew, Africa and Asia, it's, it's, it's rough. And, and, and as we've been discussing, a lot of that is because of the continued exploitation. A lot hasn't changed even since independence, like what yeah. Russia's doing, and, and Africa's still rich in mineral wealth. So yeah. people want to control it. Uh, all of this electronic equipment we use, folks, from our cell phones to our laptops, those minerals come from Africa. And those yeah. nations don't really see any remuneration because of that. Um, so, you know, that, that's what's going on. So, yeah, and, and another thing I'll say, too, Marcos, before we move on, and you and I have talked about this before. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a dearth of international news reporting in America. There's so many things going on in the world every day that we never see news about. There's really not, there's no network, no cable network that just reports on the news 
No, that got cut. Yeah, it just got cut. First thing that got cut when you see started cutting, that's the first thing that went was international coverage. And sadly, the the places where you have to go to get it, places like the BBC and and the the French press, are the colonial powers. So you have to go there and try to get news and then filter out their spin on it. So I mean, that that, that's part of the challenge. You go to Russian today. Or, you know, the English version of the Russian propaganda and you get that, prop- you know, it, it's it's absolutely incredibly difficult. And if you're looking at, um, I mean, the Internet's going to create this sort of idea that, oh, we just go get we will read a Nigerian newspaper and we'll get we'll get the news. Right. But um, it's difficult because of fake news, because of propaganda, because just the difficulties in media everywhere. And. Uh, it's incredibly difficult for somebody who doesn't know what's going on to be able to do the proper filtering to understand what's actually happening uh, in places. And, and misinformation is easy. It's absolutely easy. And uh, particularly, I mean, give me a story about Nigeria and tell me something about Nigerian president and how am I supposed to know if it's true or not? I don't have the grounded foundational knowledge to see like, oh, this is absolute propaganda. Um I mean, you just think of an outsider trying to make sense of American politics, right? You got Fox News and OANN and Newsmax and all of those just creating an alternate reality. Like, how do we sit there and process? How would an alien look at American media and figure out what's actually going on? It would be tough. But we, I, actually have a, we have a free press. I mean, now you yeah, look at right. like, you know, some of these, you know, developing countries and there's not much of a free press. Yeah. It's even harder right. to figure out what's going on. No, they don't have a free press at all. But yeah, folks, it's been interesting. We'll be doing more reporting on it. Uh, but I just have to admit, it. I, I think you would be tickled too if you saw Russia banging, the Russian Federation banging on the table for Pan-Africanism and reparations and global African revolution. So yeah, and the, yeah. And the Chinese with their, you know, with their suppression of the, you know, right, right, right. We was everybody like, what? Yeah, yeah. And everybody's just kind of, t- but but the one that gets lit up the most is United. United States is the superpower in the world. So they, U- U.S., you know, it says some good things, but they're on the scrutiny. Last thing I said, I said it was going to be the last thing. You, we, you don't realize how many countries, including European countries and even Canada now, have an office or a cabinet member that deals exclusively with racial discrimination and racial justice. The, these offices are being set up in a lot of governments these days. And it looks like they've come, a lot of them have come out since 2020 when there was like this worldwide reckoning. But we see representatives from, from different countries that actually have, and ambassadorships that have their specific portfolio mm-hmm. to deal with racial equity and racial justice. So that's a good thing. So we'll try to keep it up. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, speaking of governments, um, there was concern whether our government in this country would uh, still be functioning in the midst of this debt limit deal. What, what's your assessment of, of how that went and who, who really won? I mean, if we want to be cheesy, we'll say the American people won because we don't have a default. <laughs> but I'm not going to be that cheesy. I'm going to be a partisan. Uh, the, uh, it is remarkable what a good deal this was for the Democrats. So... The first thing we need to sort of start, um, stipulate is that Republicans have the House. We were never going to get everything we wanted. There was never a universe in which we would uh, not see some cuts. 
So I think that's that that's just you lose an election. That's what happens. And we'll take care of it next year. Like this is this is the way you do it, right? But um could have been a lot worse had we actually not actually won last year's election, right? I mean, remember, the only reason they had the House Republicans is because of uh, gerrymandering. That's how they won the House, not because they because of votes. So you have um, a situation where we were going to make cuts. It was going to happen at some point. People are saying it should not have happened during the debt limit negotiations. And that's a valid argument. And we can we can touch on that. But had it not happened now, it would have happened in the appropriations process. And they would have been shut, you know, working to shut down the government. What did we get out of this deal? We got um, the social net was not touched. So there, none of it. There's no cuts on Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, any of that stuff. Food stamps. We saw an increase in the work requirements from 49 to 54. But and this is what people sort of missed at first. It now includes the unhoused homeless people. It includes youth transitioning from foster care. It includes veterans. The, it is actually, and the CBO just scored it, it is actually an expansion of food stamps. So yeah, work requirements and, and there's a cruelty because a lot of people cannot do it. That's why they're on food stamps. And so you can acknowledge that. But Mark, I didn't know that homeless people weren't eligible for food stamps. That seems That blows my mind. That seems almost would be baseline who who needs food says well then then people who don't even have a home so even in the places where we lost we we kind of won bizarrely just as importantly republicans were really hoping to do this all over again next year right before the election hold the american economy hostage maybe even tank it on purpose there's literally uh, Matt Gates and, and the, the, the Freedom Caucus nihilists were really looking forward to sort of just tanking the economy and then being able to blame Biden for it. This is off the table. This deal runs until 2025 after the election. Just as importantly, oh my God, this is perhaps the biggest um, win in this, in, this, in this deal is that there's no longer... Um, Republicans cannot hold the you know the nation's budget hostage. So they're not there's you got the appropriations process, you know, the the Freedom Caucus was going to come in, they're going to demand 30% cuts on on discretionary spending, which is what they did in their show bill a couple of weeks ago. And Republic Democrats would either have to go along or negotiate a compromise or there would be a government shutdown. Not as dangerous as a government default, which is what we were facing now, but obviously incredibly damaging to, to shut down the government. By negotiating this deal now, Joe, I mean, Joe Biden kept saying, I'm not negotiating the debt limit. I'm negotiating a budget. He kept saying this over and over again. And it turns out that he was absolutely right. By tapping into the absolute critical need to, to pass something, the Democrats and Biden was able to essentially negotiate a deal which took the budget off the table for the next two years. So what happens is if the Democrats don't and the Republicans don't come up with their own, you know, negotiated deal in the appropriations process, there's a 1% cut across the board. That's it. Continuing resolution, but everything gets slashed across the board 1%. But for the Republicans, it means the Pentagon, it means veterans funding, it means a lot of things that that is important to them. So there's 
you know, if the Democrats are fine with the 1% cut, they can just sit back and do nothing. Or Republicans. The reality is, of course, they're going to want to actually get a deal, right? Because they're not going to want across the board cuts. But they can't come in and say, we're going to talk off, you know, lop off 30%. Because at that point, Democrats are going to be like, all right, you know what? <laughs> we'll take the 1% deal. That one's, that one's better. It forces a, a actual substantive, realistic negotiation. Essentially, it's cut out the Freedom Caucus from the entire from the entire next two years of the House. There's literally nothing they can do right now. They've been neutered, and they had that deal with the, with with McCarthy that only one of them could call for a new Speaker's election, and they ain't doing it. Like their bluff has been called. Like they got rolled. They have no leverage moving into the budget negotiating process either this year or next. There is no debt limit negotiation next year. This has been pushed off till after the election. Basically, the Republican House is now rendered into nothing more than a bunch of, you know, bullshitty show um, hearings on, on nothing. But substantively, there's literally nothing they can do right now. Because they had staked their hopes, hadn't they, on the dead limit and shutting down the government and making everything dysfunctional. So that was the big win, 2025. They can't do anything even between now and the next presidential election. Nothing. The Worst case scenario is a 1% reduction in spending. That's the worst case scenario. It could have been a lot worse, Mark. I mean, yeah, fucking major. So the, the, from a substantive standpoint, the other, okay, so, you, you know, SNAP, food stamps, it's actually an expansion of the program, uh, despite the added work um, requirements. Republicans tried to get work requirements onto Medicaid. That, that went nowhere. So there's no expanded work requirements beyond 49 to 54 um, for food stamps. And the other ones that they shifted 20 billion from the IRS money into democratic priorities. So the uh, Democrats last year passed a, or two years ago, it was $80 billion to expand the IRS to go after tax cheats. But that's over 10 years, Mark, over 10 years. So basically what the Democrats agreed to is like, all right, all right, you know, from the tail end, we'll take off $10 billion that wasn't, wasn't even going to be spent in the next two years. So everything that they plan for this year and next is still going full steam ahead, going after, going after tax sheets. And, uh, and then the, just the reality is that no matter what, the next election was going to decide it, right? Because if Demo Republicans take power next year, they were going to kill that budget anyway. So it's, it's really... It, it, pretends to give Republicans a win when in reality all it does is say what we all knew anyway which is this issue is really going to be decided by who wins the next election it, um, and and frankly on the work requirement piece um, that's going to be phased in that's not even going to be immediate and then it comes back up in a couple of years should be revisited. Yeah. So that's not permanent. But here's the thing. And, and, and I asked a couple people this and they get real quiet. I said, okay, you all obviously still think the stereotype, the face of food stamps is black. Is that not going to affect more of their constituency? Oh, when very it comes? Well. Yeah, yeah, we know. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, either they're going to piss off their own constituency or yeah. their constituency is going to continue to vote against their own interests. But the reality is the majority of people on, on food stamps and many people who need assistance do live in Appalachia, are that age. Yeah. So they may have 
you know, cut the, cut, and, you know, cut themselves, cut their own foot off. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we would like less work requirements, um, not more work requirements. So I'm not saying this is a progressive victory or even, you know, trying to mitigate. I, I'm blown away that, that homeless people were not, did not have access to food stamps. I, I cannot fathom how that was a thing that existed for as long as it did. To me, that is much more, uh, and, and youth and foster care, like transitioning out of, I mean, come on, like how is this not already? So I'm actually excited for that expansion. And again, it's just like anything else, the elections will decide, right? I mean, if we win the trifecta next year, which is very possible, then a lot of this stuff can be rolled back uh, as it should be. And um, so it is, you know, it's funny because Republicans try to paint Joe Biden as a sort of the senile dementia, cognitive de decline. And, and he just he just rolled them. I mean, this was not a deal that uh, that uh, this is not what Republicans had in mind when they took control of the House. They had much higher ambitions and, and a one percent. <laughs> not this year. Right. Like this right now, it's actually one percent increase. Is is what was mandated by this by this deal. There's bigger increases in defense allowed, but one one percent increase in uh, domestic spending. But if they don't get there in their negotiations in the appropriations process, it's just a one percent cut across the board, which would suck, sure. But it's it's not the end of the world given what could have been. Well, like we said before, you know the whole dementia piece. When you have dementia, there's usually the one or two things you did all your life. They come back to you. You know, Tony Bennett can't do anything else. When you put him on stage, yeah. We saw the 60 minutes piece. People yeah. were like, wait a minute, this dude is here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then he came off stage. He wasn't there anymore. Biden has been uh, a legislator long before he was president. He was in the Senate for what, a thousand years? Yep. Uh, at so least. At least. that's his element. That's yeah. why it's the first State of the Union in history. And Biden deserves criticism, but, you know, they have to learn. Don't play with him in his element. Don't yeah. attack him at the State of the Union. You know, Marcos, when you and I have, when our kids decide we have dementia, we don't know where we are anymore, we'll still be able to do Thursday Coast. And it'll stop. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know all that stuff that they're talking about on Thursday. And they don't know anything else. But, when they, but every, every Thursday, they get together and it's, they're lucid, you know. So yeah. that's, that's, what's, that's going to be our thing. Uh, <laughs> so, hey, Mark, I want to. I think you make a really good point about about the base being affected and, you know, how Appalachia whites are going to be disproportionately affected by this by this uh, work requirement. And, you know, it's it's on the brief this week um, and last week we've been really focused on sort of rural issues. Right. Last week we had the, the new chair of the North Carolina Democratic Party. She's 25. Oh, my God. This 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 I want to say girl, this woman is. Like a star in the making, and uh, today or this week we had a we had a rural organizer, another young lady, and and both of them sort of made the same point, and and I saw this in a political article as well with uh, Ben Winkler, Ben Wickler, who's a chair party in Wisconsin. They asked him what the biggest surprise was in the judicial race that Democrats won by eleven points in the nation's most fifty fifty state, and he said. That the most surprising thing is that, yeah, abortion drew turnout, record turnout in that election. But that same shift in the vote because of abortion happened in rural counties as well as in urban counties. And talking to these two young ladies, both of them coming out of the you know south uh, rural areas, 
talk about, both of them brought it up separately, how abortion is really rewiring people, uh, issues of personal freedom. And there is a Democratic Party brand that is obviously absolute crap in, in rural areas. But when you start actively, when Republicans are actively harming their own people, whether it's abortion bans, whether it's attacks on democracy, whether it's attacks on programs like world broadband that they all need to to survive. As that is happening, um, there is slowly a shift. And, and again, we don't, you know, right now Republicans are winning 80, 70 to 90 percent of the rural vote, right, depending on the area. It's so all Democrats need to do in the short term is chip away at that, you know, five, 10 percent here and there. And you start you start making it a lot harder for Republicans to win in places like North Carolina. But long term, about what, 60 of the seats in the Senate are in rural states. And that 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 disparity is only growing over you know expected population growth. Most of the population growth is, you know, Arizona, Georgia, Texas, Florida, uh, California maintaining. So as people move to those states, it means that the Wyoming's, the Dakotas are going to have even more influence in the Senate with fewer and fewer relative people. We got to start winning those, right? It's a thing. And one of the things that makes me excited is that in the past, and Mark, you know this very well, in the past, Democrats used to be like, okay, we got a micro target. So in the cities, we're going to tell Democrats one thing. But in the rural areas, we're going to tell, you know, voters a different thing. And, you know, and a different thing is like, well, we don't really like abortion. It's squishy. And, yeah, black people should really have, you know, welfare. And then you had the third way crap from Bill Clinton and company. And what's happening now with this sort of Republicans giving up on the idea of freedom and saying, like, yeah, we're not for freedom anymore. We're for book burning and telling college professors what to teach and for uh, telling corporations what they can or can't say, like as, as they abandon freedom in, in, in support of their like weird woke authoritarianism, anti-woke authoritarianism, Democrats have walked into that. And rural people, we can argue they're full of crap, right? But they think they're all independent. You know, we'll be like, yeah, we're, you're being subsidized by the cities, right? But whatever. They think they're independent. And so you have a Republican Party that now wants to tell them what to do, what to think, what to say. And you have a Repu Democratic or a Republican Party. And you have a Democratic Party that's saying, like, no, we're the party of freedom. Uh, whether it's, you know, medical freedom or whether it's we're actually, you know, for you being able to have broadband and, and your companies being able to express themselves. There's a shift happening. And I think that's a good long-term shift. And what's the beauty of it is that there's no difference between that rural democratic message and the urban democratic message. That's what's amazing. And Mark, you probably saw this. You probably saw this in in during the Kentucky uh, or the, the Nashville three protests in in Nashville. You were there because uh, um, this rural organizer I was talking to. She's from she's from uh, Tennessee, and she said that. They were fundraising for rural Democrats to go to the Capitol to support what was happening. And, and she said it was the first time she'd seen sort of that, that melding of rural and urban interests. And it was the same. There wasn't any like animosity. That, and, and so that gives me hope because now it's like, okay, now we're a corporate party. We know what we stand for. We're confident. We're for reasonable gun control and we're for freedom. And, uh, and there's a space there for 
rural America to come along. And then Republicans are still doing their nastiness, you know, work requirements for, for SNAP recipients. You're right, Mark. It's hitting their people. Oh, you're right. And you're absolutely right. And, you know, even before Roe, the, the trips I took with Bishop Barber to West Virginia, I saw it. People had more in common than we realized. But, but the, I think the Roe piece is what ultimately obviously is going to bring everybody together. And hopefully that will continue. You raise a good point. Instead of the mixed messages, one urban, one rural, it kind of brings everybody together. So, yeah. Screw micro-targeting. Like, no, we yeah. got one. This is what Democrats is stand it. for everywhere. That's, that's what's important. That's what's important. Thursday Coast folks, Marcos, Melissa, check out The Brief every week. If you're not already, become a part of the DailyCoast.com community. Thanks as always, Marcos. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister or brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.